This King is Lord Jesus. He has called us who believe to be citizens of the kingdom of God. He's given us life in the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been studying. And right now we're in a series where we're talking about the plan of God for the kingdom of God in the Old Testament in particular. And we, we've been looking at large sections of scripture. And I know it's, it's challenging sometimes to get a real sense of that text. But, but again, this is a, a broad overview to, to help us to engage because all of us who believe all of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has come and is now growing in us and through us. And that happens as we pursue God. Last week when we left off, we saw where King David pursued God. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a man after God's heart and he was pursuing God. But then the kings who came after him, there were only a handful who truly honored God. There was a downward trajectory in, in terms of faithfulness to God. And it ultimately ended in, in God bringing judgment against his own people. There was an exile. And, and, and this exile produced what, what, what some might call a, a post-God culture. Uh, we here in the U.S., we're living in a very similar culture to the one that was produced during the exile. We're living in a post-Christian world, a, a world where there is some remembrance, some, some similarity, some sense of understanding of, of God, but by, by general acceptance, the, the Word of God doesn't, doesn't have the authority that it, that it once did because, again, so many have turned away from God. But God calls us to pursue him even in a godless culture. And that's what our book helps us do. This morning, we're in the book of Daniel. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and, and head to the, the book of Daniel. Uh, what, what we have here is a, a wonderful means to understand how to pursue God in a godless culture. Mom and dad, please remember this. The children, the children that you have, the children of this day, they are not being raised in the world you were raised in. They are facing things that you can't imagine. They are hearing things and being taught things and they are seeing things that you didn't hear until you were in college. And you need to understand that and appreciate that and help them. Young adults, young people, what we're going to study today, this man, Daniel, is, is a perfect model for you for how you can thrive, how you can truly be a citizen of the kingdom of God, even in a godless culture. Today, we're gonna to learn how it is, how we pursue God. Now, now, Daniel is very important in terms of biblical history. When, when God created the world, he told humanity to, to spread out and to bring glory, to fill the world with God's glory. Remember, the garden was a very, very, uh, very identified geographical location. Adam and Eve were there. They were told, spread, grow the garden, grow it so it covers the whole world. But they sinned and they were removed from that garden. And there was pain and brokenness. And so much so that God brought judgment and the flood. After the flood, God again renewed his command to God's people. Now you are, those who made in the image of God, you are to, to spread, to, to multiply and they did, but they didn't do it for God's glory. And so we find humanity doing what it's still doing today, which is trying to build a centralized kingdom of power for their glory. And so they, they developed the nation, the country, the city of Babel. And it was there they were going to make a great name for themselves, not for God. So God cursed them. They were, they were cursed with language and cultures that were different. And so people began to spread all over the world, but God didn't abandon us there. Instead, he chose Abraham. And he said, Abraham, you're gonna be and your family and the nation that's gonna come from you is gonna be a blessing to all the world. And, and this nation was building, it was growing until 
they turned their backs on God. And rather than pursue the kingdom of God, they pursued their own private kingdoms of pleasure, which led to the exile. And it was in this exile that Daniel showed up. And Daniel received from God the plan for the kingdom of God. Our our text today will seem to you as an obscure passage. I assure you it is not. This passage tells you everything you need to know about what was and what is and what is to come. And I want to explain it to you so you can, so you can get your minds around it. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. We're, be, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 35. Again, when I presented this to our preaching team on Monday, they gave me the stink eye. But I assure you, this is a crucial text. So George is going to read. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Georgia, why don't you come on up? And again, she's going to read for us Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 35. Go ahead, sweet girl. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Georgia. You may be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Now this, this section of scripture that she just read is a part of a broader, a broader uh, message from God to Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel. This was just a snippet of, of Daniel's interpretation of the dream that his boss had. And this was a terrifying dream. This, this dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had was a nightmare. And it shook him so starkly that he demanded a miracle He demanded that his wise men, of whom Daniel was one, uh, along with his friends, he demanded not only that they interpret the dream, he demanded that they, first of all, tell him what the dream was and then give him an interpretation of what it means. And they said, oh, king, live forever. No one can do that. And he said, do it or I'm going to kill every single one of you. Now, how did a nice Jewish boy like Daniel end up in a situation like that? Daniel uh, was raised to know God. And and Daniel, uh, whose name means God is my judge, he, he was in a godless culture, but he was raised to be and he was resolved to remain loyal to God. Go back one chapter. Go to, go to Daniel chapter one. Look at verse eight. Look at this resolution. Jonathan Edwards once wrote a, a whole collection of resolutions and it was inspired by this text. Daniel 1 eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food over the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel was blessed. Not only did did he have this strong resolve, but he also had friends to stand with him. And so he had these three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Hananiah means God has favored. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah, God has helped. Now, all four of these men were taken from their families, 
They were forced into this godless culture. They were trained, they were educated, and they were employed by the government in this godless culture. And they were given pagan names. Look at verse 7. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Now, Bel protects his life. That's what that name means. Bel of the pantheon of gods in Babylon at that time. Bel was the, was the head god. Hananiah, he also called Shadrach. That means the command of Aku. Uh, Aku was a Samaritan god. And so it's just one of the many uh, of, the Parth, uh, of the Parthenon of gods. And then Meshael. If you remember Meshael, uh, called Meshach. Meshael means who is what God is. Uh, Meshach, this is a name that was given to him, his Babylonian name. It means who is what Aku is. Remember the moon god. So, so what's happening is that they're saying, okay, you can have, that, that, that's good that that's your name, that's your hair, but this is who you're going to be now. Forget what your parents have taught you. Forget what was, the, what was. it's done. You, you, you now will submit to the government. You will now submit to the culture demands that we're going to make on you. And then Azariah, his name meant God has helped. It became Abednego, servant of Nabu. Now these, these men, they were blessed in two very important ways. First of all, they were blessed because they were raised to know God. Their actual names would be a constant reminder of what they were taught to be. Mom and dad, listen to me. You cannot control the outcome of your child's life. But what you can control is how they are raised. You get to choose right now whether or not they're in church. You get to choose that. You get to choose what they listen to and what they watch because you pay for it and it's yours. You have a great responsibility and friends, it is a very small window of time. You have a very small window of time to determine the childhood of your children, to determine what they're taught, to determine what they come to value and, and what vision you have for them. What they choose to do, the outcome, that's not on you. How they're raised, it is on you. So these, these four men, they were blessed because they were raised to know God. Secondly, they were blessed because they had each other. Friends, we need each other. We need other people who love Jesus Christ. As the world continues on, here's what we can always know. God will have his people. God always has a remnant. And, and, and there's always a place for the people of God to gather, to be God's people, and to celebrate his great grace. We need that. We need one another. Now, now how in the world did these four boys wind up here? You, you, you need to understand, the date I typically give you is 586. In 586, that's when Nebuchadnezzar came and he destroyed Jerusalem, took out the temple, and, and finished them off. But... What a lot of people don't know, Nebuchadnezzar had actually been there 10 years before. In 596, Nebuchadnezzar was there. And at that time he had a victory and he didn't destroy the temple. He didn't take everybody out. But what he did was he took the smart kids. He took all the money people. He took the people of power and of business and he moved them to Babylon. And he said, I'm going to transform you into people like us. He took them to Babylon. Now that, every time you hear that city Babylon, there, there should be a little flinch. Babylon represents something in the Bible. From Genesis chapter 11, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to Revelation. Babylon represents the city of humanity. Now, I, I preached a sermon on the first Sunday in January. If you have not heard that, 
Go back and listen. It's on our app. It's on our website. We posted it on Facebook. If you've forgotten some of this, go back and listen to it again. Because there are two cities that we contrasted that day. Because there are two cities, biblically speaking, that are in existence. The first one is Zion. Jerusalem. The city of God, of the kingdom of God. And it's contrasted and compared constantly with Babylon. The fallen city of humanity of the kingdom of darkness. Now, Daniel and his friends had been taken from the city of God to the city of humanity and darkness. So picture that, all right? You got these four boys. They've been educated. They've got great jobs. They're successful. They're in Babylon. They're, they're, they're pursuing God and a godless culture in Babylon. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, there are still people there. There, there are some leaders. There, there is still influence. There's still things that are happening uh, politically. And there is a very important prophet that is there, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was back in Jerusalem while Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. And Jeremiah was fighting a fight, a spiritual battle. There was, a, there was another Hananiah, not Daniel's friend. This is Hananiah, son of Azur, who claimed to be a prophet who was a liar. And he was lying to God's people. I'm going to put this on your screen. This is Jeremiah 28, beginning in verse 1. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the year, of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Lie. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. Lie. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Joachim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Lie. He's a liar. And it's so important. Please, friends, remember this and know this. There are people standing on platforms in large rooms like this this morning who are claiming to speak for God, who are lying. Friends, you got to make sure I'm not lying to you. I'm not God. I'm just the paper boy. Someone said the other day, I guess you're the man. I said, nope, I'm the one who points to the man. The man is Jesus Christ. He's the king. I'm just a servant. And yet there are those who are claiming today to speak for God. And friends, you've got to be able to discern the difference. You've got to know the word of God so that you can figure out who's telling the truth. Hananiah, son of Azur, was a liar. He was saying, hey, guys, don't, don't get caught up in Babylon. Don't settle there. Don't, don't do anything. Stay by the river. Stay away from the city. Because God's going to take these people down. Because in two years, there's going to be an election cycle and we're going to be in power again. And we're going to be able to... Does that sound like anything you're hearing? Uh, the, you know, just wait, wait till we're back in power. Yeah, then, then, yeah, yeah, we got this. We're going we're gonna to run things. God's people never do well with power. We are made to be servants. We are the salt of the earth. We're, we're, we're the ones who serve. And when we understand that that's what citizens of the kingdom of God do, we thrive, they thrive. Doesn't mean we don't have influence as we need to talk about because these guys sure did. Jeremiah calls him out as any good preacher should call out a liar. 
He says, this guy's lying. So look what he said. I put it on the screen. This is Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. Now, this is a letter. Jeremiah was, had written this letter to the people in Babylon, basically saying, Hananiah is lying to you. Here's actually what God says. So we have this letter that he sent to them. Verse 5, very important. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. What's he saying? Put down roots. Get settled. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. What's he saying? Spread out. Grow. Develop family systems of systems of networks of, 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 of families who love each other and love God and, and multiply and grow and spread God's glory. But seek. All right. So don't just think about yourself. Look what it says in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Did I not, uh, did I, I did not send them, declares the Lord. So then God makes it real clear. And we looked at this last week. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. It ain't gonna happen quick. God's got a plan, it's gonna come in time. Yes, one day Jesus is gonna return. We don't know when, but he is gonna come back and we need to be ready. What Daniel was saying is, don't expect it to happen quick. So while you are where you are, and again, what he said was, where I have sent you into exile, you're not a victim of your circumstances of this world. God put us in this age at this time for his purpose. You are not a victim. You have been given the privilege of serving God in a difficult day. And we are to pursue God in, in this very difficult time. Now, the way we do that, the way we do that is very important. See, it was very confusing. And there's a lot of confusion today amongst Christians, especially in, in, in westernized nations. The three paths that were being presented to them are being presented to us. And I want to present these to you quickly so that you can discern for yourself, first of all, which path you're on. And if the path you're on is the path that God wants you to be on. There are three paths. Let me encourage you to take note. The first path is this, the path of separation. The path of separation. And, and this is what Hananiah, son of Azur, was, was, was saying. Stay away from them. Stay away from the godless people. Don't, don't get near them. And there are people that are encouraging that today. Institutions are being set up for that today. And what they say is stay out of the world and lay low until Jesus comes back. Because he's coming back soon. One of the things that you'll notice that there are a lot of amongst the dispensational churches, they're beginning to preach out of Matthew 24, Luke 21. And, and they're talking about Gog and Magog and how that bear, that Russian is going to come out of the north and is going to bring the great enemy. I don't know if you listen to this kind of stuff. I kind of keep informed. But this is the same stuff they were preaching in the 80s. It's just come back around because again, there's this, and I get it, there's a longing for Jesus to come back. I vote, let's have a vote. Who votes that we pray that Jesus come back today? Who's up for that? Amen. We all want Jesus to come back. We want him to come, but say he delays 70 years. Say he delays another 700 years. What do we do then? Friends, we can't live in isolation. We can't live in separation. And, and that's, what, that's what Hananiah is doing. That's what a lot of people are doing. 
Now, it does give comfort and distinction. I mean, here's the comfort you get from the path of separation. You don't have to think through life challenges. You just do what, they, what you're told. You don't have to think through the challenges of what, what does it mean to, to be a business person in a fallen world. You don't have to think through what does it mean to be a teacher and a guidance counselor in a godless culture. You, you don't have to think about the difficulty of what it means to vote in, in a godless culture where it doesn't appear that any of the candidates are godly. What, 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 do you, what do you do? Well, you separate. Don't vote. Don't vote. You just go to the side. Okay. That's not what God calls us to do. Separation is not God's will. Neither is, secondly, the path of assimilation. The path of assimilation. And this is what the Babylonians were demanding. They were saying, hey, have your private faith, but you better accept and celebrate the national and cultural demands that we're making on you. And in our world today, this is what the progressives and the secularists are demanding of us. They're saying, hey, be a Christian if you must in private, but publicly accept and celebrate the national and cultural values that are the new westernized norms. What we're going to make Disney movies out of, what the Disney shows are going to be about, what the music is going to be about, what mainstream media tells you is cool and influential and right, the way you should talk. The, 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 the cursing that you should allow and, and, and seek to be normative, the way children are, are taught and, and the way they are treated, the expectation of these progressives and secularists are, are that we are to accept the new definitions of marriage and personal preference identity. We're to celebrate the sin of, not just accept, we are to celebrate the sin of homosexuality, greed, lust, and whatever else the powerful and popular people in society say is cool. The expectation is that people define themselves, define yourself by your color, your sexual preference, and your gender, or maybe even animal identification. If you think you're a cat, you're a cat. We need to put a litter box in the school's bathroom in case a child identifies as a cat. Now you laugh, but did you know that that's happening? You laugh but it is happening. Children are being punished because they, won't, they will not acknowledge another child's claim to be an animal. Using the wrong pronoun, they're getting sent to the office. Social services will soon be called. Friends, make no mistake. The progressives demand you celebrate what they say is true. And this is what the Babylonians were doing. And what they've basically done is they're creating a society that is permissive, deviant, and destructive because it rejects the created order of God. I'm going to say it again. The secularists, the progressives are producing a permissive, deviant, and destructive culture because it rejects the fundamental created order of God. What is the created order of God? God's created order calls for one biological man and one biological woman to get married for life, form a family by having children, pass down their faith and values to their children and grandchildren, and form and create communities of families seeking to produce a society where families can thrive. Doesn't that sound good? That's what God designed. That produces health. Progressives and secularists call for individualism at all costs. Forget what's best for society. What does that person feel? 
Everyone must respect their feelings. Forget everybody else. It's that individual's feelings. The pursuit of power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. That's the goal. If you get those, you're a winner. A society where there is no real truth. You can't claim to have truth. It's my truth. It's your truth. Don't you dare say the truth. This will produce self-centered, overwhelmed people who live in temporary, pleasurable, pretend worlds without any lasting hope. Now, to be honest, the path of assimilation does give comfort and distinction. What's the comfort? You will be celebrated for being and doing what you feel and for celebrating those who pursue power, pleasure, popularity, and possessions. You'll say, good job. That's right. Celebrate what the culture celebrates. Yay, you. Let's have a march in the hallway with all the children waving uh, the, 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 the flags. What's the distinction? You can pretend to be what you want to be and do whatever you can afford and feel like doing without having to be concerned with how it impacts society as a whole. Friends, this is the path of destruction. There is a third way forward. There is a biblical way forward. There is a better way forward. It is the path of invigoration. This is the path that gives life, that celebrates life, that produces life, that, is, that has creativity and, and, and life-giving energy. This is what Jeremiah was commanding. And look at the outcome. I put it in the Hebrew just so you could check it. Back to Jeremiah. This is on the screen. Remember what Jeremiah said. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Remember, that's the order of God. Then look at verse seven. Look on the screen. But seek the shalom. That word welfare there, that's, that's the Hebrew word shalom. But seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom, you will find your shalom. When we typically see the word shalom, we typically think the word peace. And when we think peace, we usually think an absence of conflict. But, but the biblical understanding of the word shalom is much bigger and better than that. The, the, the Hebrew concept of shalom is wholeness. It's fullness. It's completeness. It's, it's, it's all sufficient wellness. It's everything being right and having harmony. And this is what Jesus was calling for us to do. To be a part of creating a culture, a society where there is wholeness and blessing. Remember what Jesus said to us? You are the salt of the earth. What is salt? It's a preservative. It maintains what is healthy and good and right. Friends, Christians, the way we vote and the way we talk and the way we teach our children and the way we go about our business is either a preservative or it's not. We are called to be the salt and we're called to be, look at this, verse 14, you are the light. What does the light do? It's a revelation. It's, it's revelatory. It, it provided sight. We're to help give a vision of this shalom. How do we do that? We do it as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. Our job description is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job title, minister of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What's our job? To spread the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors. That's our job title. So you see, there's the job description. You are minister of reconciliation. How do you perform your task? You announce the reconciliation that's now in Christ. Well, what's my title? Ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the kingdom of which he or she is a part. They don't just go and say whatever they want. And they certainly just don't go say in whatever the culture they may be in wants to hear. They represent the king. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does this produce? Very humble, responsible, generous, and kind people. Under the sovereignty of God, we, are no, we know we are saved, which humbles us. Under the grace and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, it creates great joy because we've been given so much. We now give so much and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is comfort and distinction in this. The path of invigoration gives comfort. You are born again and made alive to God, forgiven of sin, defined by love and assured an eternal home in heaven. That ain't bad, y'all. What's the distinction? You are defined as Christian and have been or being made into the image of Christ. Separation, assimilation, invigoration. Invigoration is the way of Christ. Invigoration is the model of Daniel and his friends. Now don't forget, Daniel and his friends had two names. They had their Christian name. They had their God-honoring name, but they were still in a fallen, broken world, and they were called by another name. They, they were successful in the world. They didn't go and hide. They used their gifts and abilities, and they gained influence. They were faithful to God. They were extremely successful, and they were a blessing. And this is the plan of God for us, that we would experience and that we would, we would share shalom. Now, Again, let's review just quick. Verse 20 in chapter one. By this time, Daniel and his three friends had graduated head of their class. Look in chapter two. Nebuchadnezzar has had this horrible nightmare in verses one through nine. Uh, verses 10 through 13, he threatens them, tells them, if you, can't, if you don't tell me what this is, I'm gonna kill you. So I love Daniel says that he responded with discretion. They come to kill him and he said, boys, hey, what's the hurry? And they said, well, king said, we got to kill you. He said, no, 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 send message back to the king. I got this. I got this. Now, at the time, he didn't have it. This was by faith. So he goes back home. And, and if you look in there, verses 19 through 23, he says, okay, uh, Hananiah, boys, Michelle, y'all better start praying or we all going to die. But then God shows up and the miracles provided. Friends, God always shows up for his purpose. If you're walking in the plan and purpose of God, the Lord always provides for his purpose. And so what we have here from Daniel, this interpretation, it tells us how to pursue God. I mean, there's two things I, I want you to have. Please hold on to this. I know this seems like an obscure passage. It's anything but. Two things. First, we are to pursue God with a divine motivation in a godless culture 
We are to pursue God with a divine motivation. What is our divine motivation? We win. What you see there in verses 31 through 35 is a picture of every culture, every society, every government that ever has been and ever will be. There's gold at the top at the beginning, but then there's silver, then there's bronze, and it decreases in its value all the way down to clay. And sooner or later, they're all going to get struck by a stone. Now look at verse 34. This is very important. Notice that it is a stone. A stone was cut by no human hand. What does that mean? It means it has divine origin. What is the stone? The stone is Jesus Christ. He is the stone that they rejected. He is the, he is the stone that, that was laid in Zion, the city of God. It is the stone of stumbling for those who reject him. Jesus Christ is the stone. And one day he is going to return. It says in Philippians 2, 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is gonna come and he's gonna bring judgment and everything that was of this world is going to be no more. So we need to be motivated by the fact that our God reigns. Our God is in control. Our God will bring ultimate victory at the return of Christ. But until that time, we have to pursue God in a godless culture. And we have our motivation. But notice, second thing, we are to pursue God with a holy occupation. We have a job to do. What is that job? Look at the last part of verse 35. It says, but the stone that struck the image, Jesus, that comes in judgment, what what happened? Became a great mountain. When Jesus Christ came, he said in Mark 1.15, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He brought the kingdom of God with him. Now that kingdom of God, as we say every Sunday, has come and now is growing in us and through us. And so the stone, Jesus Christ, has now become a mountain. That mountain is the kingdom of God. And what is that mountain to do? To fill the whole earth. What are we to do? We are as citizens of the kingdom of God to go all the way back to the very beginning when God said, be fruitful and multiply and cover the entire earth with the glory of God. We now do that in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You know what he's saying? You're looking for the, a, a good Southern uh, uh, translation? Jesus said, I'm the goat. I'm the greatest of all time. It ain't Tom Brady and it ain't the Peacocks. It is Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This morning, I got a, a beautiful message. I shared it on Facebook. It's from Pastor Will. Pastor Will is, is a pastor over uh, at our Scottsville Road campus. He's also our international pastor. What you may not know about Pastor Will is he is one of a handful of individuals who specialize in refugee movement. When they discovered that 5 million refugees would be coming out of Ukraine, they called and they said, we need Will. So we sent him on Sunday. 
And he's been in Poland. He's been training leaders in three circles and three big things all week long. People from all different cities, all different languages. This morning, Pastor Will sent a message. He said, great morning of worship. In the room, Russians, Ukrainians, and Polish, all praising the name of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? You know what that is? That's a taste of heaven. Because one day our king is coming and there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation singing praise to our God. But for now, in this godless world, we are to pursue God and we are to make disciples because that stone is coming. That stone is either going to crush you or it's going to give you life. Which one is Jesus to you? If Christ were to come back today, would it be a time of great grieving in your life because you did not live for him? Or will it be a great day of celebration? Will you join in with the billions of saints who cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is worthy of our praise. You get to choose that right now. Some of you are pursuing worldly things. You're not pursuing Christ. You do not live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Repent. Right now, change. Give your life to the stone. Become the mountain, citizen of the kingdom of God. Do it before it's too late. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would, please come forward. Oh God, you are a mighty God. Before the foundation of the world, you had a plan. Your word stands. You have promised that your kingdom has come and is, it is going to continue to grow because Christ is Lord. And you are Lord here, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge you are our king and we praise you. We exalt you and we desire to live for you. God, I know there are some in this room right now who cannot pray that honestly. They've never been saved. And I pray they'll come and talk with one of these leaders right now and that they will choose Christ and be saved. Lord, I know there are many who are, who are in difficult circumstances and they need help. They need help to know how to discern your will and to walk in your way in the place where they work, in their family system, in the, in the social structures that, that, that we reside in. God, as they kneel before you today and pray, hear their prayer and help them. Strengthen them. For those who repent and renew their commitment to you, bless them. God, we thank you that you bless us and keep us that you make your face to shine upon us, that you are gracious to us, that you, that you look upon us and you give us your peace. God, bless us now as we go in peace. Shalom. In Christ's name, amen.